Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to have you worshiping with us here at Faith Bible Church. Uh, for those of you that are uh, visiting today, I want to, again, extend a huge word of welcome to you. Uh, last week, we concluded our series in the book of Ezra. Uh, this Sunday, we're going to be starting a three-week series, essentially entitled, Rich Toward God. How can we be rich toward Him? Uh, for those of you that are also type A proactive, kind of want to know where we're headed over the next couple of months, we're going to be then looking, as after we return from the mission trip, uh, into a Father's Day message, and then we'll be studying the book of James. Uh, after the book of James, we'll move into a brief sort of period of uh, talking about Back to Church Sunday, uh, reaching out to our community, and then we're going to go into the book of Malachi and look at what Malachi has to teach us. And if you can believe it, by the time that we do that, guess where we are? Advent. Christmas. So that's where we're headed over the next six months. Excited about that. But this morning, we're going to turn our hearts into a message entitled, Consider How the Lilies Grow. But to do that, I want to take a minute and I want to ask you, how many of you have ever watched the stock market over the last couple of weeks? I see a lot of hands, a lot of people saying... Now, when I say have, how many of you have watched the stock market, how many of you are excited about that right now? How many of you are wondering? I've always been told when the market's down, it's an opportunity to buy low because hopefully it will go up. But I've also been told that uh, obviously volatility in the market can be challenging. The reason that I bring this up is because we all worry about money, don't we? Sometimes we think that money will bring security. Money is the answer to all of our problems. Money brings life. Money brings vitality. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with money. But this morning, we're going to look into our hearts toward money. We're going to find that there's a teaching that Jesus gives through a parable that really causes us to examine where our hearts are, either toward ourselves or toward God. And to be honest with you, I think at times when things seem to be good, we might want to say, well, gosh, things are good, then let's keep moving forward and do what we can to either give to others, give to the church, give to charities, etc., etc. But I want to ask you a question. What if times are hard? What's our natural inclination to do this, isn't it? It's to pull back. It's to say, well, wait a minute. This is mine. We've got to hold on to it. And so this morning, we're looking at a passage in which Jesus brings about a parable and a spiritual principle that really causes all of us to examine where our hearts are. Again, as I've said, either toward ourselves or toward God. Now, before I begin, I want to take a minute, and I know what's going through all of your heads right now. This is a sermon on tithing, and the pastor is up here because he wants people to tithe to the church so that they can have more money. What I'm going to tell you is simply this, that is not the case. Praise God to all of you, right now financially we actually are ahead of budget. Thank you for those of you who are tithing, giving to the church, it's a huge praise. Your hearts are wonderful, etc., etc. But I do want to bring out that Truth, Because oftentimes, the minute that a pastor starts talking about money, behind that, everybody has in their head, oh, he's just talking because the church needs more. What I'm going to tell you is, first and foremost, thank you for all of you who are faithfully giving to this church. Thank you for the fact that we are ahead of budget. That's a huge praise. But also praise God. 
What I'm also going to say is in this message, if the Lord were to challenge, convict, encourage, etc., etc., if you want to give to this church, praise God. But if the Lord leads you to give to another ministry for the advancement of God's kingdom, it's not about us. It's not about Faith Bible Church. It's about the advancement of the kingdom of God. And so I do want to caveat that for a minute so that you don't just kind of say, oh, he's just preaching this because they're behind budget or they need to make more money or whatever that might be. The heart behind this for all of us is to have us examine our hearts and really say, where are we with trusting God, but then also glorifying God, realizing that what we have, what we've been given, what the Lord provides is his, of which we are to steward. So we're going to ask a question this morning. When it comes to God's economy, what is the purpose of wealth? How many of you right now would be super excited if all of a sudden I walked out of here and I said, just P.S. by the way, anyone who goes over to a table and signs their name on that table is going to receive a million dollars. Anybody excited about that? Okay, so it's out there. Go ahead, do it. No, it's not, I'm kidding. But here's what I want to say. How many of you would rush out there? Or, better yet, what if I said there's five slots, five slots, the first five that get it, get a million dollars, right? And it's out, and all of you on this side are excited in the lobby because you know you're closer than them. But what if I all of a sudden said, it's out there? <laughs> what would we have? Would we have a cordial walking? Would we look around and say, gosh, you know, God's blessed me. I'm looking around and perhaps maybe somebody else needs it more than I do. Or perhaps maybe some people would say, you know what, we're not going to take it. We're going to take all of that money and we're going to use it for the advancement of God's kingdom. We're going to give it to missions. We're going to give it overseas. We're going to give it to our community. And the reason that I bring that up is it's interesting because the minute that we talk about money, sometimes our hearts can become quite greedy, don't they? Because somehow, some way within us, we have this idea that if we have more money, then we're more secure. The final thing that I want to say before we dive into this passage is simply this. As we look at this parable, I want to make it absolutely clear that should God provide you wealth, there is nothing wrong with that. I don't want anyone thinking that if the Lord has provided wealth to you, that that's bad, that that's wrong, that God is mad at you. The question is, should God provide wealth? Where is your heart in the utilization of that wealth? A lot of times it's the wealthier you are, the more it's individual or more, hey, I'm going to take this and use it for me. What God is after, should he provide wealth, is to say, let's use it for the kingdom of God. Again, if you have your Bibles, we're looking at a passage in Luke chapter 12. Interestingly enough, what we find in this story is Jesus is with his disciples, and then all of a sudden, an individual interrupts him. And he's looking, he recognizes that Jesus is a teacher or a rabbi and should be one who would be able to come up with wisdom about a particular problem that this person is experiencing. 
in a minute in a story we come to find out that the problem that this individual is experiencing is that his family has passed on and he is wondering about an inheritance. He's upset because he discovers that his brother is the one who is receiving the inheritance and he wants his piece of the pie. But in a moment, we're going to discover that he wants his piece of the pie for selfish reasons. And Jesus will use a parable to teach the matter of the heart. Friends, when we see Jesus teaching a parable, the simplest way to put it is it's a story that is used that isn't real. These aren't real people. But at the end of the parable, it teaches a spiritual truth. It causes those that are present and those who are reading to examine their heart. To look and say, what is it that Jesus is saying to us? So again, we're in Luke chapter 12. We're reading the parable of the rich fool. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. So Jesus essentially speaks to this man, says, Be careful, don't get greedy. Recognize that your life does not have value with the possessions that you have. But then he says, I'm going to make a deeper spiritual truth. I'm going to speak deeper to the matter of the heart. And that's why he brings up this parable. And Jesus told him this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. Verse 22, then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear, Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? O oh, you of little faith, do not set your heart 
on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. And the point of the teaching, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Friends, as we look around in the world, we look at the stock market, we look at sort of the tumultuous nature that it's under, we look at that gas is now 425, probably headed toward $5 a gallon. I know that all of us are looking around and saying, wow, what do we do with the money that God has given? I also know that all of us would love to have this opportunity to have an inheritance and then just move forward and say, life is good, let's eat, drink, and be merry. Now in this, I want to again reiterate that there is nothing wrong with wealth. There is nothing wrong should God provide you with wealth that you should say, well, wait a minute, I shouldn't have it. The other thing that I want to encourage you in is this does not mean in this parable that for those of you that have been given wealth, that the next thing you need to do is give it all away. But the principle that's being taught here is an examination of the heart as to why God gives wealth. And often God gives wealth to those who want to give back to God and his kingdom. The first thing that I want you to see, particularly in these verses, and it's really stated clearly in verses 13 through 15, is this. We have to guard against greed, as our lives should not consist of having an abundance of possessions. Now, here's what I want to say. For those of you that have possessions, again, there's nothing wrong with this. But the heart behind it is what Jesus is after. How many of you need more? Right? Let me just throw this out. How many of you quickly go and get the new latest greatest iPhone 500 or whatever it is that we're on now? Right? What's wrong with the iPhone 10? or the iPhone 8, or the iPhone whatever it would be. I'm just giving examples. Our world is created for us to not be satisfied. That's marketing. That's advertisement. How many of you see in those car commercials, you know, the car like driving through these rugged terrain, et cetera, et cetera, and you're like, man, I want that Jeep. That would be so wonderful and you can't wait to have it and think that you're gonna be going off-road and doing your thing, and the next thing you know, you're nothing better than the line in cars where that Hummer is told to go off-road, and he says, man, I've never been off-road, right? All of these things are created for us to think that if we have something new, if we have something more, then our lives will be complete. And that's what Jesus is driving toward. Now please hear me if you're out or if you just bought a new car, I'm not going after you. That's life, et cetera, et cetera. But it's the heart behind what we see. Jesus looks and essentially in verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. There's nothing wrong with that. 
But what he sees and what he knows is the heart behind this individual. And the heart behind that individual is to receive the inheritance so that he can have it for himself to use for his own desires and his own possession. And Jesus says, almost abruptly, politely but abruptly, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between the two of you? Essentially, he's like, I'm not getting into this. This is too messy because your heart isn't right. But then what he does is he then moves into this parable which teaches the principle. And what I love about Jesus is he tells the principle which should cut to the heart of this person without directing it right toward the individual. It's a principle for all. It's a principle for all who are around and all who are listening. And then the next thing we know, he says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. It's interesting. Some of you might have gone through a process of receiving an inheritance or reading a will or watching families. And one of the things that I have seen in times when families receive inheritance is that they get along until the will is read. And then I see families torn apart because they didn't get what they wanted. Families ripped apart over material possessions. And we've all heard this story, what? You can't take it with you, can you? I've not seen one single individual who has passed on take their possessions with them. We even look at it spiritually. I'm going to use that with quotes. We see, obviously, the pharaohs in Egypt, rich as could be, thinking that, obviously, as they were laid to rest with the possessions that were around them, that they would be provided for in the afterlife. And what do we see today? We see, obviously, archaeologists and individuals coming. And where are those possessions? Here. Not there. And so, friends, one of the things that I want to encourage you in is this. There's nothing wrong with moving forward, nothing wrong with, obviously, enjoying life. But the question is, if it becomes this mass consumption of possession for individual or individual desire, then something is terribly wrong with the heart of who we are. Jesus says this warning, and then he says, I'm going to move to a parable to essentially accentuate the point behind what I'm driving toward. So first things, friends, we need to guard against greed as our lives should not consist of having an abundance of possessions. But then we're going to find out in sort of the next three verses that Jesus is really driving toward the purpose of God blessing us financially is not so that we can eat, drink, and be merry. Now, I want to caveat that. I don't want you to sit here thinking that you can't go out and enjoy the wealth that God gives. 
But the heart behind the parable is that this individual who he is exemplifying is saying, I've been given all of these things. I'm going to increase my storage so that I can just cruise through life. And the heart behind in eating, drinking, and be merry is for me and me alone. So I want to be careful. I want you to recognize that for those of us that have been given wealth, those individuals, it's okay to eat, drink, and be merry as long as our heart is still rich toward God. We continue, and we see in these verses, he told in this parable, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. Back in those days, obviously wealth was predominantly determined by an individual's ability to produce crop that then was either used or sold or traded for other goods. And he basically says, well, now that I've got this, I've got to figure out a where, an area to store my crops. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. Okay? I will do this. That's essentially what's going on in this parable. I've got all of it, and I'm going to take it, and I'm going to hold it for me. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Nothing wrong. Okay, that's good stewardship. But here's the kicker. The next part of the verse. Take life easy. I'm just going to kick back, relax, and enjoy the ride. I'm going to eat, I'm going to drink, and I'm going to be merry. And so one of the things that Jesus is essentially saying is that God will bless individuals financially. That's his choice, his desire to do so. But he's saying... Friends, for those of you that are in Christ, when I bless you financially, it's not just so that you can eat, drink, and be merry. This really, really solidifies it. John Piper says, says this very succinctly. When we're given money, okay, we have an opportunity on choo uh, to choose kind of what we will do with it. And he says, essentially, the movement of your money signifies the movement of your heart. Let that sink in for a minute. The movement of your money signifies the movement of your heart. You have money in, it stays with you, you eat, drink, and be merry. That's a signification that your heart is obviously reserved for you and your own possession. The movement of your money, God should choose to bring wealth towards you or bless you with financial gain. And in being blessed with that financial gain, you turn to God and say thank you for it. Obviously, there's wide stewardship, but you utilize those funds to advance the kingdom of God. That signifies that your heart is what? Not rich toward yourself, but rich toward God. Jesus is essentially saying a way to examine your heart, friends, a way to examine where your heart is toward me, meaning Jesus, not Faith Bible Church, not the church, is what are you doing with your funds that I've provided with you? The, 
the movement of your money signifies the movement of your heart. And then Jesus says, well, let me tell you what the real purpose of blessing you financially is. It's not so that you can eat, drink, and be merry in and of itself. So please hear me, okay? If you're blessed financially and you're giving toward God and later today you're going out to a nice dinner, I don't want anybody feeling guilty, right? But it's the matter of the heart in how God uses this. He then turns in verses 20 through 21 and says the real purpose of God blessing us financially is so that we would be rich toward God. That's what this whole parable is about. Essentially, in verse 20 he said, but God said to him, you fool, and don't miss this, we're going to look at this word fool in a minute. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then you will get what you, uh, then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things, and he reiterates it for himself. That's the point. There's nothing wrong with being blessed financially. What's wrong with that is when you are blessed financially, you do this. Stores up things for himself, but is what? Not rich toward God. There's the point. That's the point that Jesus is driving home. And so interestingly enough, we see that Jesus uses in this parable the word fool. Well, it does sound kind of foolish, right? But why fool, right? Why not you selfish person or you person who doesn't like God? Why fool? Anyone who's listening would recognize that the word fool, particularly in the Old Testament, signifies one who does not have a heart for God. Jesus is very purposeful in utilization of the parable, the, the utilization of the word fool. And let me illustrate this point for a minute. In Psalm 14, 1, and Psalm 53, 1, we read these words. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, their deeds are vile, there is no one who does good. So anyone during this time who's familiar with Old Testament teaching, anyone who has sort of a remembrance of some of the things that have been written, would look and they would say, there is a reason why Jesus is saying fool. He's reiterating and demonstrating in this parable that the individual's heart has nothing or wants nothing to do with God. Or... They want everything to do with God and the blessing that God gives, but nothing to do with the stewardship of his kingdom. We continue on, and in Proverbs 1.7 it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. This person doesn't want the knowledge of God. That's why he uses this. So this is the point that's being made, and this is what I want you to see. It's not the man's wealth or lack thereof which forms the core of this problem. That's not the issue. It's not those of you sitting here saying, well, gosh, I don't even know why we're talking about wealth. You know, I'm barely making enough money right now to pay my bills. And some of you are sitting here saying, well, gosh, you know, there's so much money, I'm not sure what to do with it. That isn't the issue. 
That's not what's being discussed here. The issue is the lack of one, one's heart towards God. The man is a fool because he did not consider the true purpose of his wealth nor how to honor God with it. That's the reason that Jesus uses the word, you fool. To the reverse, to reaccentuate this point, Proverbs 3, 9 through 10 says this, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. That's what's being taught here. That's what's being said. And so that's why Jesus says in this parable, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. So what I want to do before we move into sort of this next part of the teaching is to take a minute and say, well, what does it mean to be rich toward God? First and foremost, what I want to tell you is whatever we have, whatever God gives us, whatever finances we've been given, friends, I want to tell you that the gifts and the resources that you have to do the job that you do have been given by the gift of God. What we have is his, of which we steward. And so first and foremost, what I want to say is, as we give, as we give back to God, every Sunday we talk about taking time to praise God for the blessings that he gives, for the ability that we have, to then look toward him. And that's the point that's being made. Interestingly enough, what I want to let you know is there's a reason why do not worry follows immediately after this. This is speaking to trusting God with our finances and our provisions. And so in a moment, we're going to also recognize that when we trust him, when we recognize that he provides for us, that he is the one who takes care of us, our needs, then that frees the heart in faith and in trust to obviously want to honor God or to be rich toward God. That's what we're going to speak to in just a minute. So the next thing that I want to encourage you in is this. What does honoring God look like? What does that mean? What does financial giving to the church, universal, mean? Well, what I'm going to tell you is, generally speaking, in Old Testament, you were called or asked to give a tithe. A tithe, speaking in those manners, was 10% of one's income. And so what I would encourage you to do, and this is what my wife Kelly and I do, fairly regularly, about every quarter, but definitely annually, is we sit down and we look at, essentially, what bucket of money do we have coming in to us? And that number, we then look and say, okay, God has blessed, so we are going to look at honoring him with a tithe. And we do what we can to honor God with 10% or more of our funds. 
Friends, that's what God is after. Now, the next thing that I want to tell you is this. Some people might choose to honor God with 20% or 30%, being more and more rich toward God. That's up to you. But also what I want to encourage you in is, notice what it says. Honoring God with what in this parable? Read it. It's up there. What does it say? Honor God with the leftovers? Yeah, we don't want to say it, do we? With the first fruits of your funds. Friends, there's a reason for that. What I want to encourage you in, and I'm, I'm encouraging you not financially, not to this church. It's the matter of your heart that God is after and saying, examine it, look at it. Do you trust who I am and that I provide for you and that what I've given to you, I will bless you with? And so when we look at this, we continue on and we see essentially that he says, Give your first fruits to those that are there. So the next thing that I want to tell you is this. When you're thinking financially, one of the greatest joys in giving is to look and I'll let you know, most times, there's a few times that I forget, but the way that I do, and I'm not saying you have to do it my way, I'm just giving you an example, okay? Our tithe is at the first of the month we give God our honoring tithe. That's what we do. So if you guys want to watch, if you want to examine, that's fine, doesn't matter. But generally speaking, the first Sunday of the month is when we put our tithe in. Now, for those of you that give weekly or for those of you that might give differently, that's, that's fine. I'm not saying you have to do it my way. But what I'm trying to tell you is our heart in that is to say, it's the beginning of a new month. And Lord, we are going to give our first fruit to you. And this is what we've given. And whether or not the month goes well or whether or not the month goes bad, that's what you're getting, God. It's not something where we're going to wait to see what we have left over to give to God. And friends, what I want to tell you is simply this. I've been amazed at how God blesses. There have been times when on a spreadsheet, I've looked and I'm like, man, it would be a lot easier right now if we didn't honor God with our first fruits. And I've said no, because God has always provided. And what I will tell you is there have been times where on that spreadsheet, it's not adding up. But then interestingly enough, as we honor God with our first fruits, what I thought was going to cost X, guess what? Ironically, now there's a 20% discount on it. Or the next thing you know, there's a rebate check in the mail. Or what I thought was going to have to be an expense is no longer needed. And it just flows, and it comes together, and God blesses. Humbly, 
because of the next portion that we're talking about, which is the next part of this passage, trusting God to provide for us and realizing that he is the one who provides our finances. And in doing so, our heart wants to be rich toward him. So the next part of this passage in verse 22 where we hear about do not worry, it's a great passage about not worrying. I don't want to belittle that. But it's tied to financial giving. It's tied to trusting God for our provision. And then, as we see, okay, notice this. We end at verse 21, right? Who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. And then read verse 22. Ten days passed and a whole bunch of things happened and this and that and the other thing and Jesus did this and no. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. Parable over. Spiritual truth taught. And then immediately, then, right after, Jesus said to his disciples, what? Summative. Therefore, given that I've said this parable which teaches a spiritual truth about being rich toward God, now I'm going to summatively tell you why you can do this and why you should do this. Which leads to the next sort of point that I'd like to make in this message, which is really seen through verses 22 through 30. When we are rich toward God, we see the many ways he cares for us as his children. He expands and he says, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow nor reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. Now how much more valuable you are than birds. Think about that for a minute. It's a beautiful just kind of truth. God takes care of those whom he loves. God takes care of the ravens. And just so that you're aware, ravens back in Jesus' day were kind of considered the vilest of the vile. They were kind of like an ugly bird. And don't know that they're much more pretty today, Right? But Jesus didn't say, consider the macaws, you know, these beautiful birds that everybody loves, the ravens, kind of the... But also he knew that they don't store up. They don't do any sort of holding or guarding, and God provides for them. And then he turns and he says, how much more valuable you are than they. One of the things that I think right there that you could see as you read this, and I think that's sort of embedded in the idea is, do you believe it? Do you believe how valuable you are to God? And that he provides. And then he continues on, and he says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And honestly, I will, I will be the first one to say, I need to hear this and I need to look at it. Um, one of my greatest strengths is also probably one of my greatest weaknesses, and I am a forward thinker. I'm constantly thinking five or ten years down the road. I'm constantly looking in that direction, which can be really good, 
but it can also be really bad because it also can be a lot of worrying. And what I'll tell you, to be honest, is I can't add an hour to my life, right? So why worry? To be honest, what we know is, is those that worry a lot, you might be actually taking from your life. So when you see me worry, come up and say, hey, you haven't really looked at Luke 12 yet, have you? And I'll be like, okay, thank you, brother. Thank you, sister, right? But who can add a single hour to your life? And then he says, since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Can I, can I ask some of you, how many of you have gone through something challenging financially where you're looking and kind of similar to what I've said, you know, what's coming in doesn't equal what has to go out. And you're going, God, how in the world are we going to get through this? And how many of you have seen God get you through it? Not necessarily easily, not necessarily how you want, but have you lacked to the point where you've not been clothed, fed, or provided for. God will provide. God will lead. And so when you see that, you begin to look at the many ways that he cares for us as his children. Then he says, right, um, let's see here, verse 27, consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. I love how Jesus goes back to the Old Testament and talks about Solomon. We recognize what? Solomon was what? Like the richest dude ever. Okay? He had everything. And interestingly enough, he brings up Solomon because the richest dude ever, Solomon, like Bill Gates, right? Warren Buffett, he was like Bill Gates, Warren Buffett times 10. This guy had everything. And what do we know about Solomon? Well, we know that Solomon writes the book Ecclesiastes. And we recognize that in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is essentially reviewing his life. And what we come to find is we call it the ecclesiastical perspective. And what does he say at the end of the book? All of these things, all of this stuff, seen the world, know it all, have it all, done it all. And he says, I'm here to tell you that life is meaningless apart from God. That's why he brings up Solomon. Solomon in all his splendor, right, isn't as beautiful as the lilies of the field. Right? Builds them up. But then watch what he says. He continues and he says, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, this is how beautiful he makes. P.S. by the way, (laughs) which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. Again, how much more will he clothe you? How much more? As beautiful as these things are, more beautiful than Solomon in all his splendor, which God does. 
which are here today and gone tomorrow, how much more will he clothe you? An analogy to prove a point. O you of little faith. Right there, essentially, the idea is, do you trust me to provide? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things. And your father knows that you need them. Friends, just take a minute and look at any advertisement that's out there. It's designed. I was in this industry for four years. It is designed to make you want more. The whole purpose of an ad is to make you feel inferior, lesser, worse, and that by possessing said object or thing, you will be better. And then P.S., by the way, they throw in a bunch of other things that I won't talk about to obviously tempt our eyes and make us desire the product even more. It's designed to make us feel like we need more. That's what the pagan world runs after. More, 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 more. And yet what we realize is God provides. And then we continue on, and he says, essentially, what? Well, the pagan world runs after these things, and your father knows that you need them, but I'm here to tell you, seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Interestingly enough, I see this, and I hear it in people's eyes. They're like, well, wait a minute. Does that mean if I really seek the kingdom of God, I'm going to be rich? No. <laughs> maybe. Maybe God will steward that way. But I don't want you thinking here, okay, well, gosh, I'd love to be rich, so now I'm just going to seek the kingdom of God, and the next thing you know, somehow, some way, I'm going to win the lottery. That's not what's being said here. What's being said here is the spiritual principle that we see, but seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. The inheritable aspect of the kingdom of God, that's what we possess. Friends, what I want to tell you is you want to know that all of us are millionaires in God's economy? And you're kind of going, well, I don't know about you. I can't pay a bill today. No, we're millionaires in God's economy. Why? Because being part of the kingdom of God, adopted into the kingdom, we have what? The spiritual inheritance of our king. The rights and privileges of the kingdom of God, which will never go away. That's where we're rich. That's what we possess. That's what we have. And then, essentially... In verses 31, okay, on, after we recognize that we're rich toward God and that God has many ways to care for his children, when we seek his kingdom, we then store up treasures in heaven that will not pass away. That's what Jesus is after. Verse 32, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Okay, I just said that. That's the point. We all are millionaires in God's Economy, in the kingdom sense, not in the little k kingdom sense of our world. And then, interestingly enough, it says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide uh, purses for yourselves. 
that will not wear out. Okay? Not real, literal purses, but spiritual purses looking at the kingdom that won't wear out. And then he says, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted where no thief comes to steer and no moth destroys. Friends, when you think of the kingdom, I want to ask, are you rich toward God? The more that you think of the kingdom and the more that you think of the richness of God toward you drives your heart to be rich toward him. That's the teaching that Jesus is giving. Because then he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, which completely supports the point that John Piper makes, that the movement of your money signifies the movement of your heart. When we seek his kingdom, we store up treasures in heaven that will not pass away. Now the other thing that I want you to recognize is this whole aspect is trusting God for provision. And so on the other side of this, for those that might be struggling financially, what I want to also tell you is that in those moments where you struggle financially, this is an important aspect, and this is the last thing that I'd like to say, um, particularly on these verses, is that it's important to realize that your desperate situation and current fears, right? I don't see it, God. I don't have enough money. I don't know that it's going to work are invitations to trust God to provide for your needs. These are invitations by him to say, let me show you. Let me demonstrate to you that I will provide for you. That I am someone who cares. That I am someone who provides. And in those opportunities, as I've looked back on our life, watching those moments where you're looking at the spreadsheet and saying, I don't know if it's going to add up. I don't think it's going to add up this month. I just, I can't see it on the spreadsheet. But you say, you know what? I'm going to honor God. I'm going to give him the first fruits that God has blessed us with. And seeing him time and time again, as I've said before, creatively come up with ways to make sure that our finances continue. It's amazing to watch how he provides and how he blesses and how he encourages and so, friends, as we talk, first and foremost, on this sort of three-part series about being rich toward God, one of the things that I want to ask you is just to examine your heart and to look at how you may or may not honor God with your money. And in that, as you're honoring God with your money, just ask and say, Lord, what are ways that I can be rich toward you? What are ways that you can show me how to be rich toward God? The take-home truth of this that I want to leave you with is we've asked this question when it comes to God's economy. What is the purpose of wealth? Well, essentially, through this parable and then through this sort of speaking to the disciples, that in God's economy, the purpose of wealth is not so that we would be rich toward ourselves, but rich toward God. How might you be rich toward him? What might God asking you to do? What I will tell you is this that if the church, okay, and God bless you guys, okay, this is not just, this is not Faith Bible Church. You are very, very generous with your giving. But if the church, universal, in the United States, were to truly give 10% of their tithe to the church, 
we could eliminate the majority of world hunger that's out there. What I will tell you is statistically, okay, again, I'm just saying statistically, not here, but statistically, the average American, of which we are the wealthiest country in the world, per capita, will give anywhere from 2.8 to 3.2% of their income to the church. I'm just giving statistics. And so lovingly, what I would encourage you to do is to just examine your heart. And if God should bless you financially, if God should, should provide financially, look at ways to say, how might I be rich toward you, God, and not rich toward myself? Let's pray. Father, we come forward this morning. We thank you for this parable. We thank you for kind of a challenging thing. A lot of times, one thing that you don't really like to talk about with other people is money, and particularly finances. But Jesus, in your word, you've given great examples of really why money exists, why you bless. And in that, to examine our heart. And so, Father, in those moments where should we be blessed financially, we'd ask that you would help us to examine our heart toward you. And Lord, in that, may we look at ways that we might be rich toward you with the finances that you've given. Father, for those that might be financially challenged right now, realize that that's okay. That's not something that they should be embarrassed about, that they should be concerned over, that their hearts toward you are rich. And Father, there are many ways that you can bless them with opportunities through honoring you through service, through loving other people. And Father, in that, may we realize that all of us, all of us, no matter what our pocketbook says here on this earth, are millionaires in your economy. And the reason we are millionaires in your economy is because of what Christ has done for us on the cross and the inheritance that we've been given. And so with that, Lord, may that drive our hearts to be rich towards you. We thank you. We love you. We pray these things in your name, dear Jesus, and we ask it by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people say, amen.